0: So, uh, Randall, welcome to the show. Welcome to The Journey. Um, uh, Randall Rapier, and uh, am I saying the last name correctly? Yep. Okay. Yep. And um, let me just explain a little bit about what uh, The Journey is about. Mm-hmm. It is um, just a, a podcast to uh, bring individuals on and essentially talk about the story of transformation, the story of how, based upon what things may have gone on in a person's life, how they may have changed their own um, direction and what did they learn from that aspect or maybe um, there's something that happened in their life where they had some type of setback and then what did they learn from that setback and how did they uh, essentially fail forward and so um, but uh, welcome to the show and welcome to the journey thanks for having me and so uh, one of the things I always start with is uh, just a little bit about not only yourself but then also what do you do for fun so if you have an opportunity to have some fun what do you do for fun boy uh, (laughs) so um
1: that's a trick question. Yeah. So I, I have very little spare time. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've got a bunch of pans in the fire. So I, I would almost say that for fun, I like to throw another pan in the fire. So I'm okay. I'm always looking for something new, uh, you know, to dive into, uh, and I, I really uh, I, I take a lot of uh, personal satisfaction out of. Uh, Lighting a fire in younger people. Okay. So yeah, okay. through church youth groups, uh, through sports, uh, I, I do lessons uh, okay. for uh, baseball and softball okay. uh, in on the weekends, and and I really enjoy that interaction with a young person where you know I I can visually see when a fire is lit in them and right. they raise the bar. So I guess, yeah. I guess that's what I would,
0: okay. I would say. So so when they essentially get it, right? yeah, when, exactly. something, when something clicks,
1: yeah, that yeah. they they're way more than anyone has ever told them that they are.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. I I I know that look, so uh, <laughs> I I can definitely appreciate that as well. So, um, well, b- before we jump into the baseball world, because mm-hmm. I know that's a big part of your world, um, you're married, and yes. uh, what is your wife's name? So my wife's name's Tina. Tina. Yeah. Okay. And so and best you, thing I ever did. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and so you and Tina have been together for how long? Uh, we're going on 23 years in April. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. And it's gone vast. Yeah, <laughs> I know. My uh, wife and I will be married 26 years in June. And uh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, it 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 there's certain aspects of it just feels like it's uh, gone really fast. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I look at the pictures and I'm like. I didn't have gray hair then. I don't know exactly how this all happened. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, overnight it turned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, not, and you have uh, three children. Three children, yes. Okay. My
1: older daughter, Ashley, okay. and then uh, she was uh, very instrumental in helping us raise two uh, young boys, okay. uh, Aaron and Adrian. Okay. Yeah. And okay. my youngest is 19, and he's in college, so it's empty oh. nest.
0: Okay, okay. Where's he going to school?
1: Uh, Trinity International in Deerfield.
0: Oh, sure, yeah. 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 And Plays that.
1: on their baseball team, and uh, okay. he... Uh, um, He's taking business classes, and he wants to be a business uh, businessman one day. Okay. And then my older son, Aaron, he actually was on the baseball team as well uh, in the fall semester, and then he took a position with a church in Harvard. He left uh, his program, and he's now a youth pastor out at a church in Harvard and okay. uh, continuing his education out there while he does it.
0: Okay. Now, was he, did he go to Trinity as well? Correct. Yeah. He did. Okay. And then um, your daughter's a little bit older, yeah. and, um, and what does she do? So she works for One Body Collaboration. Yeah, in there? town where oh. they,
1: they, uh, they uh, bring in resources from different yep. churches and non-profits uh, yep. And then people will come to them with a particular need, and yep. then they find the resource.
0: Yeah, I I remember um, I'm I'm familiar with them. Uh, I, I first got introduced to a One Body Collaboration when they were referred to as Love Inc. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so I, I know that organization fairly well. Yeah. So, um, and so uh, baseball. So tell how, how did how did baseball become part of your life personally, and then now you're you're utilizing baseball and, and coaching and and helping out with it. So tell us about. Was that your first first sport love? Or? Yeah. So
1: so when I was a kid, uh, my parents were both from the southeast portion of Kentucky, so okay. the coal mine territories. Okay. And uh, my dad moved up. Uh, typical story. Didn't want to be in the coal mine, so mm-hmm. all the jobs were in the Rockford area. Okay. Uh, back in the day when uh, you know manufacturing was strong, so he moved up here, and he he was never lucky enough to play a sport when he was a kid. It was their life was about survival. Sure. Uh, so when you know uh, the, the kids got old enough to play a sport um, he didn't know what to sign us up for. So he signed me up for softball at Harlem community center oh. way back when fast oh, pitch yeah. softball. Okay. So I didn't play baseball as a kid okay. and this was what my dad knew. So he, he signed me up. Uh, so I played on travel fast pitch softball teams, went, you know, was lucky enough to play around the country and it was pretty good at it. Uh, but that was the one thing when I look back at my childhood, seven kids, Uh, My dad worked in a factory and my mother had health issues and, you know, and it was a single income family. And uh, she eventually, when I was 19 years old, she passed away from cancer, but it was a long, Mm. she had a long battle. So um, that was the one thing I had when I was a child that was like my escapism and I could go play. And I I was, I was pretty talented. Mm. Um, So... When you're on that field, people would see you, and and you had a name, and mm-hmm. and you were you know you were the man. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it did give you some kind of you know self worth, because everything else in my life at the time did the exact opposite. Mm, okay. You know, and uh, and there was this cloud overhead, and I, and you know cancer did destroy our family at a, mm-hmm. at a certain point. But that was the one thing where when you stepped on a ball field, nobody cared what was going on. Mm-hmm. It was you're a c- competitor. Mm-hmm. The other guy has things going on in his life too, but this is about the sport. Yeah. Um, so it, it really taught me how – Impactful and how powerful sport was as sure. a vehicle.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. And so you, so you never, so that was softball. You never actually played baseball.
1: Not until, not until I, uh, I joined. I grew up in Mcchesney, Arkansas, as we used okay. to call it. Yeah, uh, Graduated uh, from, <laughs> yeah, from Harlem. Yeah, went to went to Harlem, and then uh, uh, my senior, year, I, I dropped out and I went and, uh, joined the military. I was an airborne region in the military, and I ended up in Seattle. Okay. Uh, after I got out, uh, I was a police officer in Seattle, and fast pitch softball was not a big thing. The talent level was very low out there. Mm-hmm. So I converted to baseball, and I started playing baseball, and, um, and I was in my early 20s at the time. Okay. had a really, really good pitching coach who uh, was taught under Tom House, which is from the you know, Texas organization, and he was kind of an innovator in his day. So he introduced me to the science of like biometrics and, and okay. uh, what the body does and how it translates into sport, and that got me hooked on baseball. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, as my, you know, my boys uh, came along, it was pretty funny. I remember the day when baseball became a thing in our family. My older son, he comes to me one day and he says, uh, Dad, I, I want to play soccer. And I, I never wanted to be that dad that made your kids do what you did. Sure, so sure. he comes to me and he says, I want to play soccer. And I almost started crying. And, uh, <laughs> and then my younger son, he was, he was always the one that would push. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, nah, Aaron, let's play baseball. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, so I start feeding that as quickly yeah, as I could. Sure, sure, So that started the baseball thing in our family. Interesting, yeah. interesting.
0: Now, <laughs> what, what, uh, how old were they approximately? Were they in grade so, school? Yeah, or? so
1: my older son would have been eight. And, the um, yeah, my younger son would have been six. Yeah. Okay. But we started my my younger one was like t- by the time he was 4 he wanted me showing him things and because we did we homeschooled mm-hmm. and uh, we interacted a lot um part of the socialization that we we uh, made sure w- with intentional you know uh, socialization of our kids when we're homeschooling uh, sport was a big thing so we would get involved in sports so even at a young age like four when my wife would leave to go grocery shopping she didn't know this but we would move the furniture out of the way and we'd set up a little mound in the living room and, and he'd have me showing him okay. uh, you know technique so at a very young age he, was, he knew what his body was doing and, and mm. you know and he dove deep into it my older son he was very good at it but it wasn't a priority for him.
0: Wasn't as much of an interest. Yeah, yeah, again.
1: he was He was much more uh, involved in his ministry. Uh, he was a Bible quizzer at a young age. Um, you know things along those lines was more of his focus
0: okay gotcha so uh, and I know this is not at all what we were going to be talking yeah. about but I'm just curious what um, for you had mentioned earlier that um, your three three kids were mm-hmm. um, homeschooled up until high school mm-hmm. what was what and, and I haven't asked yet what do you do for a living now what do you so
1: I, I do business to business sales okay yeah so that's been yeah ever since I relocated back to illinois that's uh, that's been my field okay uh, typically it's technology related
0: okay yeah okay gotcha and so does that uh, put you in a position where you have to be away from home sometimes
1: yeah so so there'll be you know there'll be uh, depending where my company's headquartered at like the company I work for now is in DC and there'll be a couple you know uh, week-long training courses or or annual conventions it'll go three days where there's training and and that was one of the nice things is homeschooling it was okay we're going to DC so you know the family we'd my i'd bring my family along and i'd be the one guy you know that uh when everybody else is going doing something else we're going and looking at the town and we'll go out to eat and so they were able to travel with me which is
0: a lot of fun okay okay well and that's kind of what i was going to ask so what were from from your standpoint now stepping away your you know your kids are older now Mm -hmm. and um what were some of the advantages what were some of the setbacks of doing the homeschool experience you know, I,
1: I think the biggest advantages was um, the flexibility to individualize your experience for the kid. Okay. Uh, so, you know, my older son, he was always he was always very structured and, and methodical. And he was born 40 years old where mm-hmm. I could have an adult conversation with him by the time he was six years old. It was... Um, uh, he was he was a very particular type of person. So you could feed those things. And mm-hmm. we would, you know, out of his, his day, as his mother was teaching his classes, there'd be certain topics that were really important to him. So when I would, you know, come home we would discuss that and, and he would jump ahead in that subject mm-hmm. and he could really dig into it. He would do everything he needed to do in the other topics, but that subject he could really dive into. Okay. And then my younger son, as it is in most families, they're completely opposite kids. Sure. And he's the wild, dynamic, and you know, and and uh, do things just because mm-hmm. and he'll fight to die on every hill. Uh, so he was a very different kid. So, you know, his education would be different. He would he would, you know, do the classes that he didn't really enjoy, and and you know they they all both of them had really good grades all the way through, but then there would be a topic that would be very interesting to him, and we would dive into it. Okay. Yeah. So it, that flexibility is is really important. And then you know, and then there are no limits to where you can go on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the business aptitude is one of the, the right. things that led okay. to kick cancer.
0: And then and then obviously the element that if you were in Washington D.C. it would be Part of uh, a learning experience for them to then, you know, be doing history in a, in a different capacity. Absolutely, sure. yeah. You okay. get to learn
1: about the the community, and you know, and, and each each major town would have its flavor, and mm-hmm. and you could you know wrap some of your your classes around that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So if there was any uh, setbacks, or uh, I don't mean necessarily, challenges. yeah, challenges. Yeah. What, what yeah. were some of the challenges?
1: So. You you have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. You really have to be intentional because you, you do have flexibility. So uh, I'm aware of, you know, the homeschool community is, from what I've seen, is very polarized. It's either all the way on one side where, you know, I don't want to say it's almost an excuse not to go to school, but in some places I, I've seen that. And then on the other end where it's like, you know, we're going to put you know, school on steroids mm-hmm. um, and there's very little middle ground, mm-hmm. you know, and it's either mm-hmm. one flavor or the other. Uh, but what I've seen over the years is I've seen that community build and, and resources like sports teams mm-hmm. and, and uh, different uh, clubs that are available and, and socialization is now not as hard as it was 20 sure. years ago. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So that community's really grown.
0: And I've, and I've noticed that as well. My, my daughter who was um, in uh, performing arts in the theater and so a lot, at least a percentage of the of the kids her her age were homeschooled and so um and just over the time and over my career I've noticed how much different it has it has changed so so I was just curious okay so um so tell us a little bit about um uh the uh, the cake um your your foundation so Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your foundation and um and how it started and 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 where it's at now it's, it's,
1: it's a really unique, uh, yeah. is a nice way to say it a really unique organization. So, uh, it's K cancer baseball and K cancer softball. And what we do is we support local families who are battling childhood cancer. Uh, and we consider local anything within 45 minutes of the greater Rockford area okay. for us. Uh, and the way we support them, there's a bunch of different ways. So, uh, a family will get a diagnosis of cancer and usually it's, you know, child has a headache. They go to the doctor, their primary physician an x-ray and they're on a they're on a helicopter or an ambulance directly to either um lurie's hospital in chicago or up to uh children's Fi- uh, family hospital okay. uh, in uw up in uh, madison so their world is completely flipped immediately it's yeah. not a, a a long process um, so now you have a, a a parent who is with the child at the hospital you have three other kids so homes are being split up or everything stops while we're at the hospital. And this could be six months, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the original uh, process. So we get involved, uh, as early as possible. And we'll find out about families either through social workers at the hospital, a friend of a friend of a friend tells them about the support we can provide, you know, or they see a post on Facebook and they connect with us. And what we do is we'll provide a, an original care package for them. And that'll have gas cars to help with the, tr- the trouble of, you know, going back and forth to Chicago. Um, uh, We'll provide uh, car repairs as things start to break down because now family is having to take all the money that they have and invest it in food at the hospital or medications or mm-hmm. so they, they don't have money for the little things. Uh, winter time's here, so we'll do things like shovel driveways. And you wouldn't think it's a big thing, but I, I was talking to one family, and I asked her, what was a breaking point for you guys? Because everybody hits it. Yep. it it's going to happen. So mm-hmm. so what was your breaking point? And she said that uh, they were her and her husband were at the hospital with their child and it had been like three weeks of just, just draining uh, things were going on at work. Another child is having issues at school and they're at the hospital for two days and they come home and there's four inches of snow in the driveway. And they sat in the car on the street and cried. The husband and the wife cried for a half an hour. She said, and she goes, it's four inches of snow. It's not a big deal, but it was like, we've had it. And after everything we go through, we come home and there's snow in the driveway. Yeah. So we'll shovel their driveway. Sure, sure. You know, so our organization yeah. should do that. So that's one side. We provide the support for yeah. families who are battling childhood cancer. But then the other side is is where it kinda of is unique is um, we take youth and we train them in business concepts. And once they're you know, they're comfortable with the business concepts, we create a youth advisory board. From those youth, and it comes from our baseball team, and, and now it's coming from the softball team. Uh, those kids, and once they go through those classes, we give them the nonprofit to get their hands on it, and they actually help run the business. So they're learning things like marketing and branding and and finance. Uh, we just had a young lady; um, she's fifteen. And uh, she just put QuickBooks together for us uh, on the softball side, and she's pulling all of our finances and creating categories so that she can present it to the board and show where the money is going. And uh, so they're they're getting their hands on the on a business. Okay. And it's it's amazing when you watch like young people and and you give them something and you say, well, no, you could. You could implement QuickBooks and finances for a business that's bringing in fifty thousand to one hundred thousand dollars a year. Who told you you couldn't? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. I can't. Yeah. And then yeah. they do it. Yeah. Um, so that's the other side of the organization is is we're trying to um, to help equip the next generation of socially conscious leaders, is the way we say sure. it. Um, and where it started, it was it was kind of interesting. Was. Um, so my younger son, he was 13 years old. And we had a travel uh, softball team. It was originally the Rockford Big Dogs. And then, you know, we, mm-hmm. we moved it over and we were uh, Bison, Kelly Robeson, uh, his, his organization. So it was just another typical travel uh, organization. Well, I coached my older son's team for a couple years. And then at 14, he, he decided to quit. And he was one of the best players in the area. And we had just competed in a big national tournament. And he, you know, hit a home run and and you know, ended up winning a game against one of the top ranked teams in the country. And so when we come back, I'm thinking we're ready for next year. We're gonna be even better because now we can advertise how well we did. And we're driving home. He's like, Yeah, I don't think I want to play baseball next year. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, Well, you know, I just don't like the environment. I don't like the the dugout. I don't like the narcissism. And so he he starts listening off all these things about the socialization piece of baseball or travel sports that he didn't like. So. it it made me do some soul searching as a dad Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. I'm creating this environment and then my child is recognizing the the issues with it Mm -hmm. Uh, because as a travel parent, our budget for the years wrapped around their tournaments, our calendar is wrapped around their tournaments they have to have a $400 bat. I mean, you can't play baseball without a $400 (laughs) bat. Uh, So all of these things you're teaching this young child, just because God went on his right arm and he throws faster than another kid. Mm -hmm. You're teaching the world revolves around you and you're better than everybody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the back of the head of a travel athlete parent, there's that little piece that's Mm -hmm. saying, am I really teaching my kids the things that they really need to know to be solid human beings? Mm -hmm. So I, I had to do a lot of soul searching. So then My younger son's team, uh, there was an opportunity to transition coaching when my older son stopped playing uh, baseball. So I started coaching his team, and we wanted to do it different, see if there's some way we can kind of hack that. Because there are so many positive things that travel sports teach a child, uh, or any sport or any. Interest that they pursue and they become excellent at. Yeah. There are so many positives that are taught through that. That you can we can we keep the the bathwater or throw out the bathwater, but keep the baby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so what we uh, we did was I, I started talking to the boys and they were thirteen and at that age as a baseball player you're gonna there's no other thing you're gonna be a professional baseball player yeah. you're gonna make millions of dollars I yeah. mean <laughs> everybody can tell you that. Yeah. Um, so the conversations were what are you gonna do outside of baseball when this all stops what are you gonna do. And you're having these conversations with 13-year-old boys. And for half of them, the answer was, uh, I don't know. And that was it. But then a couple of them were, you know, one kid said, you know, I think I want to be in marketing or digital marketing. And one kid thought he might be interested in finance. And another one wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, so you know, I started talking to him. And at the time I worked in outsourced HR. I'm like, you guys kind of sound like a startup company. I'm like, would you be interested in taking some classes and, and learning a little bit about business and then it might spur something. And my intention was that if I got them interested, I could find out like, what, what do they want to pursue one day? And then the next year when they're 14, I could be scheduling tournaments at a college that might line up with what their interest was. Sure. And then I could start poking them and getting them interested in a school and, and maybe, you know, start helping them, you know, direct a future. So what happened was I I did a two-hour class at my church's conference room, and it was just on what is a business. What's an S-Corp? What's a C-Corp? What's an LLC? Why would you choose one over the other? And I've got four uh, 13-year-old boys and then one 15-year-old, and this is summertime when they're uh, on an off-night practice. And they just kept peppering me with questions. I thought I was going to bore them to death, but they're peppering me with questions at the end. When can we do this again? So over that summer – I did a class on finance. I did a class on public speaking, on sales, on you know how do you how do you uh, how do you sell an organization on a product, and you know how you find a, a product fit and present it. And, and so I started doing all of these classes. And then at the end, I'm like, "That's that's all I got." And they wanted to start something, so the bug had had effectively taken sure. root, and they were infected with the entrepreneurial gene. So uh, we started talking, and uh, we set up a C corp, and. But we, uh, the 13-year-old boys and the one 15-year-old, wrote the articles in corporation, they wrote the bylaws, they did a, a business plan, um, and then when I told them we have to find a problem, the problem that they isolated is one of the boys, his uh, cousin had been diagnosed with cancer the summer before, mm-hmm. and he was having a conversation with my son, and you know, they, he'd mentioned that you know, the, the, he spent the summer in Madison. So why did you have to spend the summer in Madison? Well, pediatric cancer is such a specialized treatment that they have to have a full pediatric oncology team to do any treatment. So all of the treatment has to happen out of town because there isn't enough uh, cancer patients, uh, childhood cancer patients in Rockford to justify it. So his family had to go up to Madison for an entire summer. Okay. Well, their family is, you know, kind of a high net worth family. So was it a pain? Yes. But we started thinking about what, are the, what about the families who are paycheck to paycheck? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you do that? So, you know, as the business process and, and learning for the boys, we made some phone calls to find out, is anybody else addressing this problem? And if they are, can you do it better, cheaper, faster? You know, yeah, typical yeah, business yeah. thing. Yeah. And what they found was there were no resources for those families locally. So they had to figure out, how am I going to get there? They had to figure out, how am I going to pay tolls? They had to figure out, uh, you know, all the all the extra things that are layered on top of having a kid with cancer.
0: So, so. Even though there's organizations that may provide support, meaning like emotional support Mm -hmm. or like... uh uh, like with palliative care or with um,
1: um,
0: grief support groups and things like that, even though they may be able to do those things, not these other things.
1: Correct, and specifically locally. Local. And what we found is there are some like umbrella organizations, and they might be national or they might be specific to a hospital. But by the time the family finds out about those, okay. they're done. Okay, and and they wish they had known about it earlier. Okay. So what can we do locally to support local families who are facing these issues? Gotcha. Okay. So we they built a a uh, a nonprofit, and the boys went through the exercise of actually filing all the documents uh and you know we received our 501c3 status so then we would start reaching out to business leaders in in town and the boys would come out and i'd carry their briefcase and you have two 13 year olds sitting across the table from a business owner and they're doing a full sales pitch here's the problem here's our solution to it here's the cost do you see where you could be a, a contributor to it? And they would close on it. And, uh, and the first year, I think it was, I think the first year was $20,000 or $25,000 they brought in. And then they would sit on the, the board meetings and decide how they're going to allocate those assets. And it, it, was, it was interesting just watching them change. Like mm-hmm. they changed within six months. They went from these 13-year-olds to you would sit across the table. You had no idea you were talking to a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. They owned the content. I mean, they, they owned it. It wasn't like an a, a older person with their hand in their back and telling them what to say. Mm-hmm. They, they owned it and That's they came right. up with ideas for our organization that, that we didn't think of as adults because young people do that. They right. don't, they don't have the boxes that we have right, right, and they'll right. think creatively and they'll throw stupid stuff out there and then they'll throw brilliant stuff out there right. and you enable the brilliant things and then they take things places you never would have thought to do it. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, again, uh, uh, K cancer. K stands for kids. I'm assuming. Well,
1: it stands for strikeout.
0: Oh, for baseball. Oh, oh yeah. nice. So baseball okay. and softball. The okay. the K is uh,
1: is uh, stands for strikeout, and the the tagline is striking out childhood cancer.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I went with kids. Kid exactly. cancer. Yeah. Okay. And that's okay. the that's the default. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then now that that organization would have started five six years ago. Yeah,
1: 2014. Yeah. 2014. The boys started it. Okay. And then uh, it started off with. We would meet a family and we would give them a $100 gift card and a little basket of toys for the kids and tell them somebody loves you. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And then what we found as we started interacting with families was they appreciated it just that somebody would say, we see what you're going through and we care, but that there were massive needs. That that It's like any business. Then you start and then you pivot when you realize where your market position is. Um, So over the next couple of years, it morphed into... um, doing an original visit, providing a gas card and some toys for the kids, but creating a relationship with that family yeah. and then walking through their whole childhood cancer with, family, uh, journey with them. So we get engaged we create uh, teammate events we call them we call the kids the pediatric oncology uh, kids teammates okay. uh, So we do teammate events once every couple months where that we get that community together mm-hmm. and they're the only people who understand what they're going through. We get that community together, and they interact in something fun, and you just let these kids just be kids. And then the kids from our organization are there to be ushers and, and make sure there's kids having fun. If you see a kid who's sitting there quiet by themselves, go engage them and get them involved in the event. Mm. So that emotional piece, the community we've built, we've found has been more valuable than the you know, the original interaction. So this goes on for a couple of years, and then the boys get to the place where it's time to age out. Mm. And they're, you know, they're seniors in high school going to be going off to college. So what do you want to do with this organization? So we have a board meeting and we give them options. So in the, in the bylaws, they wrote it in that if the foundation um, folds that you donate your money to another organization, does the same thing you do. So we have that conversation. You guys want to, you're not going to be able to do this when you're going to college. You want to fold it up and you guys isolate a organization you want to give the money to, or what do you want to do? And Um, and the idea was thrown around to create another group coming up. So then the thought was, how about we flip it? And this was a group of boys and we flip it and then we have a group of girls come through next. So we found a team and we found a coach that had the same thought processes we had where you're not there to dictate everything. You're not there to call every pitch and, and turn them into puppets. It's you teach the catcher and the pitcher and you let them be leaders. And Mm -hmm. and so it's completely different way of doing travel softball, um, and he had the same thought process and the same burden we had. And we brought them in. And then the boys helped mentor the girls in the classes. Mm. So then as the girls went through the business classes, and they were 12, I think, when we started with them, um, now the youth advisory board is run by the girls. And it's we rebranded it as Kate cancer Softball. Mm. So they're all freshmen and a couple sophomores in high school. So over the next summer, we're going to be looking for a boys team that's four and a half to five years younger, mm-hmm. and we'll start the process again and keep oh, leapfrogging. Okay. So gotcha. now it's run by the girls, and it's K-Cancer softball.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so... Um Okay, so I'm I'm figuring out how as that's happening. Yeah. what have you? So with this first group of boys that went through, they're freshmen, sophomores in college. Correct. Right, and what have? Um, how have they maybe utilized some of their experiences now? I mean, I know they haven't graduated from college or anything, but how have they, how have you seen them utilizing their experience with um, K cancer? So. so um...
1: It, it is, has been interesting. So I mentioned my older son stopped playing baseball and he you know decided to do some other things. So uh, he was very involved originally and he still gets involved with some ideas uh, of, of what we're doing. Uh, he goes off to college and uh, he's on a baseball team at Trinity International um, and he's got his plan in front of him. He's going to do business marketing with a, a double major in uh, theology. And an opportunity comes his way to do something that's in his wheelhouse and something he wants to do as far as ministry. And he wasn't afraid to pivot mm. and say, here is, here was my plan. But then as I'm look, going through life and I see a need and I think I can meet that need, he wasn't afraid to pivot mm. and dive in completely and know I can figure this out and I okay. will find a way to make this work. Okay. Um, then uh, my younger son, Adrian, um, he's, uh, he's involved uh, in baseball at uh, Trinity but he attends like startup camps and, um, like uh, G beta up in uh, boyd their uh, startup community. Uh, they, when they do their pitch nights, he's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's really into the entrepreneurial scene. So he, he looks at life now with, a, um, a, I'm trying to identify a problem and I'm trying to create a solution to mm-hmm. that problem. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. how he sees things. Okay. Uh, and you know, and, He's home on you know vacation his vacation Christmas leave and sure. the other day he's shoveling a driveway you know for a, a child of cancer family while while okay. he's here, so that I think the lens that they see life through has been impacted mm-hmm. uh, one of our original meetings that we had when we were first starting the organization we went up to u uh, w Madison and uh, the organization was so unique that it kind of caught their attention and we were lucky enough that chief pediatric oncologist for UW uh, Children's Hospital, and he's on congressional committees and everything, Dr. Sandel, uh, he said, yeah, come on in, and I'll, you know, I'll listen to what the boys got to say. So we come up there, and we sit down with him, and he had his chief marketing officer. He had his uh, uh, child family life specialist in the room. There were four people from his team, and then the chief pediatric oncologist, and we were in that room for three hours. So he took a huge chunk of his day out, and we sat across the table from him, and the boys presented K-Cancer baseball to their team. Mm. And then, you know, and that's a half-hour presentation. And at the end, he gave critique. He says, here's what you got right. Here's some holes in what you're doing. And you need to look at it this way. And then he gave them, here's where this the our research is today. And here's what we're working on. And here's how you can help. Uh, so he took that time out and, and kind of showed them that. So he made a statement while we're sitting in the room. And he's like, the reason I'm willing to take this time out is because, I have invested my entire life in trying to find a cure for childhood cancer. He's like, one of you may be the one that finds the cure. So one of the kids that was one of the original board members, and he was a youth uh, president for our uh, advisory board, Lucas Tomberg. um, He's in Nashville in college and he's studying, you know, um, he's going to be a research doctor. Mm. And if I had a hundred dollars and I was a betting man, I would put it on Lucas Domburg, finding the cure for childhood cancer. Mm. Uh, so, all of these boys that were invested early on in the program are now pursuing education, and I think they look at education differently than they would have
0: sure yeah and it's a
1: hundred percent of them have, have been impacted by
0: it interesting yeah. very interesting um, as we were talking earlier um, k cancer uh, baseball has evolved mm-hmm. it's evolved to the point of now it's baseball and softball it's boys and girls but it's also evolved in how you're looking at helping first it was um, monetary uh, from helping out from a monetary standpoint and now it's about relationship building and mm-hmm. some events and and I know that uh, recently you had a approached me about um, doing something even a little bit different uh, on top of that, doing more, even a more in-depth social emotional uh, piece. So maybe tell us a little bit about that and where did that really, where'd that come from? And yeah, just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So, so originally like you, and I, I look at, Everybody has a cancer story. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody was affected by it one way or another. And I look at mine, it was, it was an adult and it was my mother and treatment was local. I remember taking Fridays off of school at Harlem and, and going, driving her to chemo on Fridays at Rockford Health Systems, which was right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched as it impacted our family. And as you, when you have a first diagnosis, everybody flocks to you. Your friends, your family, coworkers, schoolmates, everybody flocks to you and says, well, you know, we're here for you. But then it's heavy. It is heavy. And, and this isn't knocking anybody, but then all those people disappear mm-hmm. not that long afterwards because you have your own life that you're trying to run. And right. this, this is a real heavy topic. So then all of a sudden you're there and you don't have a lot of support. And then when the real problems start hitting, you start circling your wagons and you get insulated. And this is all you see mm-hmm. is, is your, your, your cancer uh, uh, journey. So with childhood cancer, it's worse for two reasons. It's your child. And if you ask any parent if you could have cancer or your child had cancer, which one would be? 99.9% of them, give it to me. Um, So now it's your child. Uh, And then you're ripped away from your support network because you have to travel out of the community for your your, uh, treatment. So it's creating a disaster in the emotions of a person, in the psyche of an adult. Mm -hmm. So what we've noticed as we've really gotten close with these families, and they've become family, is sure you know financial resources are great but you know what is a real big need is the emotional side of it is, can you help me with this? And, and no one would even ask because you think there's no way I could help with this. But yeah. one thing I noticed was we had a teammate event, uh, cooking with a chef at Lucha Cantina, which is really fun. They close down a restaurant and the chefs run a cooking class and you have all these kids with cancer and then our, our, their siblings or are, are being the chef for the day. So what I watched happen at the first one was as the kids were getting seated and as our group, our, our kids of our group, were going around and helping, the moms drifted to the back of the room. And they were by themselves for a little bit. And then I noticed they started kind of coming together. And then we have this one connector mom, Karen, and she's just the best. Like she will hug everybody she sees. And at some point in your conversation, she will cry Uh, no matter what the topic. So I watched Karen go over and she connected with this mom. And then she says, hey, do you know her? And then she comes over and connects her. And then pretty soon you see this group of moms who they're the only ones going through this, have these other moms. No, no, you're not the only one going through this. I'm going through it, too. Hey, did you know this? Did you know this? Oh, when they tell you this medication can't be approved, here's what you got to do. And they started forming a natural little group. Mm-hmm. And then so we started thinking, like, well, how can we help facilitate that? And that's why we have the teammate events where we're, they're coming together and they're seeing each other on a regular basis. So So that we thought was really effective and helpful. But as we started having these deeper conversations – it goes way deeper than that. Mm-hmm. It goes way deeper than that. So the effect that, that a childhood cancer battle in a family has on a mom is completely different than a childhood cancer battle on a dad. Mm-hmm. And they have their own dynamics and how can we help those? So right now we've got a, a couple mothers who are either in the middle of going through it or have gone through it. They're, they've got a little committee and they're trying to form a way of of doing something for the mothers and, and they're going to come back to us and say, here's what we think would be helpful. Um, but I asked a dad and he, uh, he's, he has a son uh, that had gone through his cancer battle twice. Uh, and then he was re-diagnosed again. So it's, yeah. he's, he's back in the middle of it and I asked him if you could, uh, and he's very open and, and we've got a really good relationship. And, and I'm like, if you could tell a dad who just, received the news that his child was diagnosed with cancer. If you could give him one piece of advice you wish somebody had given you, what would it be? And he said, didn't even have to think about it. He said, take better care of yourself because you're not going to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, you're not going to be a help to anybody if you don't. And, and it's all about surviving the war and not the battle because, mm-hmm. you know, as, as dads, okay, my child has cancer. Here's what's coming up. I got to get this uh, insurance lined up. I have to find out if I could take PTO at work. I have to, and you start trying to formalize everything because you got a battle coming up and how am I going to fight that battle to protect my family? Mm-hmm. And you give no thought to the war and, and cause you don't know how long it is. You have no idea how long this is going to be. And you have, you've never been here before. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's in the back of your head, but you are so focused on this one battle that you can, you know, you just forget about yourself. And then you you do nobody any good after a while, and it was it was it was insightful. Okay. Um, so we started thinking, what can we do? So then the thought was, um, let's reach out to somebody that is an expert in this. Instead of doing it yourself and trying to wing it and take a five-year learning curve, let's get somebody in here that really knows what they're doing and how to how to interact with these dads in in this situation and get where they live and give them some tools that they can use some some basic tools to to survive the trauma this is i i was i was an airborne ranger in the military and i i I went to combat and i was a cop for five years in seattle Uh, i worked the projects at night for a year i was a domestic violence detective for a year so i've had issues and things happen in my life that um my my brain's not formed that way somehow so i I, i'd never had any issues with ptsd but i knew a lot of people who did Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i watched people go through the same situations i did that had ptsd these parents have PTSD. Mm-hmm. And to, to give them the tools as they're going through their journey that can help minimize the effects of that and help them just survive and get to the end of the war. Mm-hmm. We started off with a $100 gas card and saying somebody sees you. And then now, just because there's so many people in the community that are willing to get behind when they see a problem, um, we as a group, as a community, may be able to provide some resources that get down in the trenches with them. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's really exciting. That's mm-hmm. really exciting. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Okay. So, so it is e- e kind of like what you talked about with the boys originally. As the farther you go into um, the marketplace, the farther you go into a business, the more that you recognize that um, there's more m- more opportunities yeah. where we can. Where we can make a difference, where we can, where we can fit in, where we can possibly provide some solutions. And yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And what?
1: And what's the most impactful?
0: Right. Right. You right, know. And, okay.
1: and it's not to minimize the, any. You know, if you are just doing anything kind for another person, that's impactful. Mm-hmm. So it's not to minimize. You know, providing a hundred dollar gas card, uh, or just you know saying, hey, I see you. Right. Because we need that. But if if you can also you know, equip them and give them the tools and the support is they try to implement those tools yeah. to actually get through this to the end of it. What you see is that they flip over to the other side of the table. Yeah. So now instead of needing the resources, they flip over and they're contributor. And we have, we have a couple families now that were original families that we supported that now they're running toy drives. Mm-hmm. They're doing, you know, one of the moms I mentioned, she's heading up, you know, helping head up the committee to provide resources for the moms. Mm-hmm. So she was on that other side of the table. And now She's giving back, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, that's been a real eye opener. When we first started this and we were telling people, Hey, here's what we're thinking of doing. The, the initial reaction people would have is, Oh, people are going to take advantage of that. Mm. They're going to, they're going to come up with the reasons to get gas cars. stuff. So we find it's the exact opposite mm. where I'll get a, I'll have a social worker reach out to me and say, Hey Randall, um, this family, they need some help with their car. Like when I was talking to them, they said their car has no brakes, and and uh, and I told them like, "Did you reach out?" And they're like, "No, they've helped us so much already." And I'll I'll call them up. I'm like, "Hey, listen, I'm mad, <laughs> you know, I'm mad. I found out that your car needs repairs, and you didn't tell me." And they're like, "We we didn't want to come back because you guys have been so helpful, you know, and people in the community begin so helpful." But what I found in the Rockford area, this area has challenges. I mean, there's no. Way of saying it, like there there are challenges that are specific to living in Rockford, mm-hmm. but it's also one of those communities where if you look at that that challenge and you say, "This is a challenge because you live in Rockford," but I'm willing to do something about it. Would you like to help? There are people who will get behind you and say, "Absolutely, how can I help?" Yeah. And and we've been blessed where you know the the community is given financially, and we haven't had to say no yet, mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. Know, which is which is a great thing.
0: Well, I think I think there's a the you know, I, I wonder if this is part of that because it is, it doesn't come without relationship. You know, you're, you're giving them a gift card, you're, you're a, a care package initially, but it's also, you're offering, um, an opportunity for some level of relationship based upon where their where their openness is, where their need is. And yeah. that in itself, um, uh, I think that changes the dynamic. I know, I remember when I was a, a school social worker at Harlem and we were, I was working with the self-contained behavior disordered um, students and um, Randy Bay and I, Randy Bay was the, the instructor and I was a social worker and we were trying to figure out how we're going to teach because we were required to teach social skills. And, and how are we are going to do this and be effective and not just be some kind of, uh, you know, token Program that we were going to take it and say, you did yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and one of the things that we came up with that we thought that, um, uh, was original was, uh, this idea of, I can't even remember what we originally called it, but later we called it therapeutic service learning. So we would take the students because we were in a block scheduling and we would take them out into the community um, and one day it was uh, forest restoration at and Dells. Another day it was getting uh, puppies and kittens from the animal shelter and walking them up to um, up to the River Bluff nursing home and doing pet therapy with the residents. So yeah. we have behavior disordered students who aren't supposed to be with the general population because Are meeting
1: the needs of someone else
0: of puppies yeah. and kittens yeah. and <laughs> of elderly into residents who for the most part had been left there you know and it was just amazing what would happen one of the things that people were concerned about um concerned about cautious about is um are they going to take advantage of you you know are the students going to take advantage well number one we had some pretty strict guidelines about how they were to behave when they're out in the community, and this was a better alternative than being back in class. Yeah. So that, so, this, <laughs> Easy so yeah, yeah. That, that was a huge piece. And then the other piece was I remember coming across some research that um, had discovered that um, probationees, when they were doing community service, and let's say had a paint um, uh, a park bench, yeah. that park bench was then protected because they had put the effort into painting it and so they made graffiti other things but yeah, they weren't going the to graffiti what they does yeah and so um, and that seed was planted with us believing that it would be the same thing and um, over the five years that we did it um, where Randy and I were there um, we very much saw that and so it, it seems like in, in a lot of ways not only it's an opportunity for the students um, to come in and be more than they thought they could be yeah. but, um, and it's not to say that people aren't going to take, aren't going to stretch.
1: Absolutely. They'll always stretch
0: be. the utilization yeah. because um, a lot of times they're not going to be in their right mind yeah. um, because of the cancer. Right. Yep. And, and, and it doesn't just affect the young person who has cancer. It affects everybody, everybody everybody in the family or in, in the fringe even around that are yeah. being affected by that. So, um, so I think it, it is a great thing that you guys are doing. One of the other things that make me, um, Stands out. I run a homicide support group um, for the state's attorney's office, mm-hmm. and we we talk about it as a very homogeneous group. Um, it's a club that no one wants um, to be a part of because yeah. of the membership requires right. yeah. that you <laughs> the table stakes. Yeah. yeah, that that someone in your family or your loved ones has died from homicide, yeah. and um, but it's like you said before. There's an element that they. Um, they understand, um, they only feel understood by someone Someone's who's going through the that. same journey. Absolutely. And there is an element to that. We can empathize.
1: Yeah. But you can uh, never understand.
0: It's not exactly the yeah. same. Yeah.
1: yeah. We. So we have a family uh, just this last week that was able to ring the bell. And anyone in those circles knows exactly what that means. It's, my last day of chemo is I'm leaving the hospital. They have a bell up there, and you get to go over there and just ring that thing like crazy. So it's this cute little girl, and she's I think she's four now, she might be five, uh, but she got to ring the bell. So, from the funds that our organization receives, one of the uh, parents in our group had shirts made for her, her family like 20 family members, you know, team, you know, and it, it's I'll never, you know, I'm never, never fight alone or some cool little logo. Yep. And they all got shirts to remember the day. Well, you're done. You yeah. got to ring the bell. Yep. That's not the way it works. So, yeah. 66% of all kids who survive, so it's 20, 80% survive uh, cancer treatment, but then uh, 66% of the survivors have lifelong major disabilities, not minor, but major disabilities. So, from the treatment, because their treatment is, is adult cancer treatment, so it's adult chemo that mm-hmm. they're given. There are no, there's not enough kids who have cancer to justify a big pharmaceutical company spending a bunch of money to find a new cure. Mm-hmm. So, that cancer research receives 4% of the federal budget for cancer research it goes to pediatric oncology, only 4%. Mm-hmm. So there are no new drugs. So these are, are incredibly impactful medications that are going to these bodies. So they're damaged more than an adult would be. So they have to live with that for the rest of their life. So I have my granddaughter over the house. Uh, last couple of days, she got a little cold. Her head starts getting warm. she got a little fever and a runny nose to me. She's got a cold to somebody who's survived childhood cancer in their family. She may have leukemia, mm. and it's an immediate trip to the emergency room. And until they tell you absolutely not, you are sure your child has leukemia again. Sure. And it's recoming; it's coming back again. Every single cold that their their child has, yeah. it's impactful. Yeah. Um, so it it never it doesn't stop with ringing a bell. Yeah. And the only people that could understand that is somebody who's gone through that. You know, so to provide that long term um, uh, support, yeah. it's given, you know, and, and all we try to do is we just try to create an environment where that can happen.
0: Right. right, right. Yeah. yeah. And
1: and that's what I found is instead of trying to answer everybody's problems, if you can go help enable somebody, you know, we get people come up, say, you know, I'd, I'd like to start a nonprofit. I'm like, well, do you really have a passion for it or you just want to help? You know, mm-hmm. Well, I just want to help. Well, look for somebody who's doing something good and get behind them, mm-hmm. and and you can really do something major in your community when you do that. And it's just a bunch of people seeing uh, seeing somebody who has a, a good idea and they're doing it for the right reason, and and just help them. Mm-hmm. And and it's amazing what can happen. You yeah. can impact something like childhood cancer.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it is a pretty amazing amazing story. And I know, uh, as you had asked me regarding this next this next piece of it, yeah. um, uh, or another aspect that you're going to be offering is going to be specifically for the fathers mm-hmm. or potentially other fam, other male family members that, that may be involved. And so tell us a little bit about what was that vision? Why specifically fathers and why, um, why specifically the males in the, in the family?
1: So, um, I mentioned I'm a big podcaster, and yeah, yeah. and I love listening to podcasts that just talk about the human psyche and what mm-hmm. makes us who we are, and and the the science behind the differences between us, mm-hmm. and you know and there's today it's it's challenging. You, you never want to open your mouth and say that there's differences between us mm-hmm. because you're going to offend somebody. But when I I'm involved in an organization that sees a bunch of different families and, and cancer could care less if you're, if what nationality you are, it could care less what, you know, it's socioeconomic status you are. It could care less. When we go do our drop off our our, uh, Christmas toys, we do it in every community in Rockford from the nicest houses to the projects. It's in everything in between. So cancer doesn't care. Um, What I've found though, is that there are differences in the way people deal with things and we, and I've seen it just pull the data out. I've seen it. And I see the way mothers typically handle it. I mean, of course there are always, you know, there's always exceptions, but I've seen the way mothers handle a child cancer and I've seen the way fathers handle it. And it's, it's drastically different. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, men have a way harder time talking about anything, let alone that I can't handle this, mm-hmm. that the guilt of a, of a man that um, I can't protect my child from this is different than the guilt of a mother who feels like, I can't love my child through this, or I should have noticed their health closer and I could have prevented this, which they absolutely cannot. Right. But those, those thoughts come up. Um, so what we really want to do over the next year is find a good way to address both in their, their separate situations and get deep and specific and really give them some tools, not just general, here's how you deal with grief or here's how, here's how as a man, you're mm-hmm. probably thinking this. And, and I'm, it is so impactful when from a professional who, who deals with, you know, you've, you've had so much experience dealing with men's groups and, mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. men who've gone through some of the most traumatic things. When you can stand in front of a child with cancer dad and you can say, you're probably thinking this mm-hmm. and you've probably felt this. And mm-hmm. a- absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. has he talked to my wife? How does he know that? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that? That credibility will get me to let that wall down a little bit Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I trust that you've had that same experience with other men Mm -hmm. and that you don't look down on me because of it, you know, and, and men have a very specific way of dealing with things and, and for you to address them where they live Mm -hmm. will have the most impact. And we're, we're like I mentioned, uh, we've got a a group of uh, moms who are, you know, kind of putting together some thoughts on what they want to accomplish. Once they come back with it, with that, we wanna tailor something specifically to the to the moms as well, or the right. women in the lives of of the pediatric oncology family. So if I look out a year, I would love nothing more to see once a quarter we have a workshop for men, and then once a quarter, we have a workshop for for women. Sure. And yeah. they're going through, and they're and they're really getting equipped with the tools to, to help them get through something that I could not imagine trying to get through.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it is, um, it has been something that has been a big part of my own my own journey, mm-hmm. as well as uh, my career and working specifically um, in men's psychology and what originally was called the men's movement back in the early uh, in the '80s, and then when I was first introduce, introduced to it. In the early '90s, um, and it, it, it originally birthed um, around um, addiction work, mm-hmm. and that's where it originally started. And and then for a, for a time period, it was very popular in the church, and um, and I'm, that has kind of you know kind of faded like most you know like yeah, a lot of things movement. do. Um, but I started doing um, men's. Men's retreats and men's um, workshops back in the early 90s and facilitating those, first participating and then facilitating those, and then started doing my own groups out of um, the different offices I was working at, first Mathers Clinic and now uh, KP uh, Counseling. And I think it was 1987 when I started those groups, and I have some men that have been there since the very first group. Wow! So they come weekly, yeah. um, for two hours, and since since 1987, so yeah. uh, some of those original men, and um, it there is something about um, being able to come together and um, and for men specifically, and and having a community and then also having not only modeling, but having a space in which I can go into, um, learn and as well as express the male mode of feeling and, um, and then all the other things that may, um, that may happen during that time period. So the one group that I have that, um, was my original, um, group that I, that I ran out of Mathers and now at KP, um, well now we're at 20 20 years so now we're now seeing some of the things in with those men that you know now they're in their late 60s and early 70s and when they originally started they were in their late 40s and 50s yeah. so now we're in retirement now we're having some of the aging um, issues that th- so we've literally the group has evolved with them yeah yeah. And it's been a very it's been a very cool experience, and um, I very appreciate it. So the opportunity to to work with another uh, group of not only men but uh, with a homogeneous um, uh, obstacle that they all have um, some common uh, ground. Yeah, looking it, forward to it.
1: You know, and one of the challenges nonprofits specifically have. So the the big buzzword in our community, especially the funding community, is. Um, um, Outcome. Yep. What's your outcome? Yep. So give me some quantifiable data that shows the outcome that if I invest $10, here's what you're going to tell me is going to happen. Yep. What do we say?
0: Yep. We're not,
1: we're, we're, I met with Dr. Gorski at Swedish American early sure. on, and he took the time out to mentor my younger son. And, and he set us our side of his counter, what are your issues? Tell me what you did last quarter. What are you trying to do next quarter? And he would he'd give feedback. And, and one statement he said is when they were working on their original, like, what do we want to address? One of the, the three things that they were going to do is help fund research for child cancer. And he's like, really? What, are you going to donate $10,000 this year? Like, Not saying that that's not helpful, but you're talking about organizations that have to spend billions of dollars on research. And would your money help? Absolutely. But could it be more impactful if you're giving it directly to the families who are in those needs mm-hmm. and let somebody else with deeper pockets do that part of it? So it was, it was really focusing on what can you do to actually make an impact. Um, you know, and, and as I see this piece of it, this can make a massive impact. Mm-hmm. If, if I have a, I want to give some quantification to something, I say, what's your outcome? If I can say the average out of 30 couples, the you know, United States statistics, whatever it is, say 10 of those couples get divorced.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Childhood cancer families? Double the number because it's just, you're putting this, this pressure on top of it. If I could help impact that and help these couples survive through their childhood cancer journey to get to the other end of it. And if this, this, you know, coursework where you can help and say, Hey, you're going to feel like your marriage is hopeless. Mm -hmm. You're fighting over little things. You're let me, let me explain what's going on. Mm -hmm. And here's how you can, you can deal with that and Mm -hmm. get through it. yeah. That would be a quantifiable result that I'd love to just wave up and say, "Look, look what has been accomplished!" Because you know they've done this work, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and we've helped we've helped that uh, happen. Yeah, yeah,
0: very. Uh, and I think you know that element of being able to take some business principles, and and take a real a real need with real life people going through that, and and figuring out how do we. Um, kind of like Dr. Gorsky was saying, mm-hmm. um, I understand your point. I understand why you want to do it. But it's not going to be necessarily the best use of those resources. Yeah. But you can make a greater impact this way. Similar as you said that you you've learned to have the flexibility and the adaptability to pivot where you see where the needs um, where the needs are or where you could possibly make a greater a greater impact. I, I am looking forward to being part of it. I'm looking yeah. forward to uh, seeing what we can do and what kind of space we can create and and seeing what um, evolves from that. So Absolutely. so uh, Randall, as we're wrapping up. Um, if there was one thing that you would want to share for the listeners, either regarding um, uh, K-Cancer, that organization, or if someone's listening and themselves maybe being inspired to want to get involved either with K-Cancer or get involved with some other organization, what would you, what would you want to leave with them?
1: You know, uh, a, a couple things. One is, is
0: just get involved. Like, y- y- you might not think that
1: you can do something, but if you just take the first step, you're going to turn around four years from now, like we were given a $100 gas card. You're going to turn around four years from now and say, how in the world did this happen? Yeah. And look how awesome this is. Um, but the the other thing and the main thing I would really like to get out there is when you look at specifically a young person, but I, I think it can be anybody. When you look at somebody and, and you look past all their 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 flaws and all the things that they've been told by life in general that they can't do and 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 where they fall short and you look for one little thing that they could potentially do and you call that out and you equip it and you feed it you can transform a life and and we've seen that happen with young people where we've looked at them and we've said you can learn these business principles and and it's just a vehicle the the business training and the sport is just a vehicle to say if you set goals and you work your tail off, and, and and you you find every resource that can help you get to where you can. You can accomplish things you would never expect, mm-hmm. and and you can transform a life uh, instead of it being just a kid going out there thinking that you know the world's right. I have no value, and and I should just march along at the behind whoever is leading the way. And instead, they look and say, No, no, no. I've been equipped specifically to do something. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but I'm going to find it. And when I do, I'm yeah. going to leverage it to the hilt and I'm going to find everybody I can that can get behind me and help me leverage it and I'm going to go make an impact. And, and when they do, they will make an impact. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can say you had a little part of that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Randall, thank you very much for being here. Um, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for uh, not only helping individuals that are struggling with um, the ordeal of cancer and how it impact their family, but but also um, the impact you're having on youth and um, building into their um, tool chest for their future. So, I, well,
1: And thank you for doing what you do. And I cannot wait to see the impact it'll have on the dads of these these families we work with.
0: Well, thank awesome. you. Thank you. Um, oh, real quick uh, mm-hmm. if you could just let, if people wanted to learn more about um, uh, K-Cancer, get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to yeah, do it?
1: So, uh, K-Cancer Softball or K-Cancer Baseball.com okay. for the websites. And then uh, they're at Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash kcancerbaseball or Okay. And if anybody knows a baseball team that's about 10 or 11 years old that would be interested in uh, becoming our next iteration, uh, just message the page, and I'd love to talk to you.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. As Randall has shared um, not only his own love for softball and baseball, but being able to help youth and being able to pour into that. And just as he had mentioned, didn't know necessarily where that was gonna go, but he wanted to be involved and wanted to make a difference. And now with the organization of uh, K Cancer Baseball and K Cancer Softball, he's doing just that, having a ripple effect on youth, as well as the adults that are impacted by um, childhood cancer. Thank you very much for joining us and look forward to joining you um, and seeing you next week. Thank you.